0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards.
1: Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Anderson, good to see you and thank you. I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to primetime. And welcome back. Right? Labor Day is past. The summer season is officially gone. And school is back in session. No, no it isn't, right? Not in too many places. A major failing by our leaders. I'm gonna talk a lot about the election tonight. We're eight weeks out. But let's just talk about what matters most, okay? Our families. Parents are burdened. And the people that we say we want to do the most and the best for our kids are getting screwed. And yet, the failure to control cases, to push for rapid testing. That's the key. So we can best monitor cases in close to real time and then get resources where they're needed. Still don't have it. Eight weeks until the election, but eight months into this pandemic. Now that matters, that matters. Who lies, who doesn't lie? What are they promising? What are they not promising? Who's worse, me or somebody on some other network? All of that is noise, that's politics, this matters. You know it in your own house, I know it in mine. And that failure, our president and his administration, and yes, your governors, your local leaders, they must own it. Too many of our kids at public and private schools are not where they belong. School, home and life and work, disrupted. Households will be jeopardized. Financially and emotionally, compromised. And I don't see how kids that started off a little behind won't fall further behind. You know they're not getting the same remote resources. And even if you do get all the remote resources, if you're one of the lucky ones, you're still not lucky. A lot of plans that we have for our kids may change. This is reality. And yes, we should focus on it eight weeks out from election day. What is the answer? Why, Mr. Trump, why did our schools have to go back like this? Well, I told them to go back. Yeah, but you knew they couldn't without the testing. Why didn't you give them the testing? And what about you, Mr. Biden? What would you do? You're going to be in here November. When? If you win January, you're in. Now what? We're still in the thick of it. What are the first five things you'll do that'll help us? If we're anywhere near the vid, flu plus COVID problems that we anticipate. What will you do differently? The dead, the sick, the long haul syndrome, you're gonna hear more and more about even after mild cases. All of it is gonna matter in people's assessment of this pandemic and how this president and their other leaders failed them or helped fix for them. But that even our kids didn't muster anything better than self-interest from this president, it has to matter. Now, you're not hearing a lot of what I just said, right? I mean, you're hearing it now, but you're not hearing it from too many people. Why? Well, because it is easier to make this about what is more obvious. Trump is a fool. He says foolish things. He calls people liars when he can't even spell the word. He lies more than anyone either of us have probably ever seen in any major political situation. He pits people against one another in ways that are obvious and ugly. That Atlantic story about Trump reportedly maligning wounded veterans as losers. An allegation he defends by trashing the people he says he didn't trash, the military. Here, listen to him.
2: I'm not saying the military is in love with me. The soldiers are. The top people in the Pentagon probably aren't because they want to do nothing but fight wars so that all of those wonderful companies that make the bombs and make the planes and make everything else stay happy.
1: Well, the companies you made to, meant to take care of, that you cut deals for, the commander-in-chief is going to badmouth the generals, that, that's a good answer. That's proof that you didn't malign the military. But does it matter? No. He encouraged some reporters to take their masks off and bragged about his maskless crowds tonight in North Carolina. Here it is, here's the proof. Don't believe me.
2: Thousand people here tonight. That's but because of uh, China, the arenas aren't working out too well, right? You can't really do that anymore for a while. But it, we are rounding the turn. I really believe that these crowds are bigger than they were four years ago. It's pretty amazing.
1: That's not true. Yes, yeah, so, you know, you can take your mask off. No wonder coronavirus hasn't magically disappeared. You keep telling people to take off one of the best forms of protection we have, and you do it because you think it serves your self-interest. And you know who else knows it? A lot of his supporters. They know everyone who comes in contact with this president has to be tested, but he hasn't made that available for the rest of us. You know it. Now, he wants you to forget he denied the pandemic and refuse to do the kind of testing mandate that only he can muster. And he wants to sell you a new magic solution.
2: So we're going to have a a vaccine very soon, maybe even before a very special date.
1: Now is he pushing them to get it soon before the election? Of course. Is that wrong? Maybe, but it's politics. Now do we know that this vaccine is going to work? I hope so. Uh, Is there enough for all of us? Almost certainly not be good to have a vaccine, I guess, as long as it works and people are willing to take it. These are all really damning things I just showed you, but none of it will decide this election. Why? Because even though just a fraction of that behavior would all but end Biden or any of us in people positions like me, by the way, I don't know know if you've noticed, but they're coming after us a lot now, too. Why? Why do POTUS and his puppets over on Fox State TV keep trashing all the other players, often without basis? Because they know they have to keep the bar as low as possible. That's why someone who knows they are guilty of what they accuse somebody else of still does it. Because they don't care if you think they're crap. They're banking on you thinking that we're all crap. And maybe in some way, we are. We're all flawed. Nobody's really better than anybody else. You are only what you do at the end of the day, not what you say. But specifically to Trump, you need to understand this eight weeks out. It's the most valuable part of the show because I know it's right. The base, Trump supporters, they're not gonna abandon him. You're not gonna win their votes. Why? Several reasons. The right is more about winning than the left. They get in line. They are dogs, not cats. They do what they're told to do. But it's bigger than that. It's not just about party. Not even legitimate charges like the ones that I just listed and many, many, many more. That these real failings matter. Here's why.
2: And you know, Mexico is paying for the wall, just so you understand. They don't say that. Remember I used to say, who's going to pay for it? They'd say, Mexico, right?
1: That's a lie. He knows it's a lie. And I believe, you see the faces of the people behind him? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They know it's a lie, too. But they laugh. Why? Because they're not going to abandon him. Two reasons. One, the party won, now two more. Not because they're bigots. That is not a winning strategy, and it's really not fair. Do bigots have a strong affinity to Trump? Yes. But I argue to you, many of his supporters are likely not that. Moreover, they know he is all of the bad things you say he is. His own family says it. So his own staff say it. They used to back other people and say he was the worst piece of garbage they've ever seen. One of his biggest supporters said he was destined for damnation, heavy stuff. So why? truth doesn't hurt Trump. The base doesn't expect truth from politics or politicians. So they don't expect it from him even if he's worse. He banks on that. So he keeps trashing everyone and everything to lower the bar, make everybody garbage. Then he doesn't stink as badly. Many of Trump's supporters support Trump despite Trump. Again, many Trump supporters support Trump despite Trump. They are not for him. Yay, I love the lies, I love the crudeness, I love the indecency. They support him despite him because they are more afraid of what could replace him And that is the battleground of this election. Which is the least bad choice? Who scares me worse? What are you up against as somebody on the other side of Trump? People are frustrated with this process and the insiders, they're scared by the violence in cities. I know 93% of protests are nonviolent, but they see the other seven and it's more than enough. They are struggling too. They are poor. They are desperate. And they don't see how they should be blamed as privileged, nor being racist for resisting the violence or the idea that being white is an automatic pass to prosperity. They do not feel privileged. They feel desperate. And Trump tells them, you're right, but the left hates you. They hate you. You know how I know they say that? Because they've sent me emails saying exactly that to Trump supporters. The left hates you. Islam hates you. The illegals hate you. That's what he says. And it works. All the people and the processes that people are afraid of, he says you should be. He represents more of the things that bother them than any politician in modern history. So why support him? Because he says what they fear. They support him because they're scared of these other things more than they are impressed by any of his failings. Yes, I get it about Trump. You bash him all the time with the lies. I get it, I get it, but they all lie. And I'm more worried about you guys wanting to tear down the founding fathers, forget about Christmas, not let me say anything you disagree with, not let my kids go to school because everybody's got to check a diversity box, not pay me what I want to be paid. I can't get ahead because you got to hire somebody who checks some diversity box. And I'm scared. What do you offer those people, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris? Because that is the battleground. Trump scares them, fear is powerful, demagogues are effective. The election that he wants to win, he's trying to sabotage, why? Fear, even if it means discouraging the people that he needs to vote, to vote remotely, listen to it.
2: These elections will be
1: fraudulent, They'll be fixed, they'll be rigged. How does he know? There is no proof. We have never seen anything like that, but it sounds scary. Now, I think this one's a bad play for him. I think Trump has made two bad plays. One, put your arms around rapid testing. There's still time. Say you're gonna own it. We could get to a better place before the election. Ramp it up. The Emergency Production Act. Give people the capital. Say, I'll give you an output contract. And don't tell me not to say things that would help Trump. I want to help us. I want to get my kids back in school full time. And you do, too. We're not doing what we can to get through this pandemic. And The longer it it drags, more sick, more dead, more long haul COVID that'll last for years. So that is where we are. That's the state of play. Now, am I right or am I crazy? Let's bring in David Gregory, political analyst extraordinaire. Um, You had to sit through 13 minutes of it. Does any of it resonate? And before you answer, God bless you, your wife, the kids. I hope everybody's healthy and figuring out the new normal.
3: Yeah, thank you. And to you as well. And I've been, you know, I agree with a lot of what you've said, Chris. and, And you and I are in the same boat. We both have teenage kids and younger. Uh, who are beginning uh, school at home remotely. And we have a lot of resources and a lot of privilege to be able to get through that. And it's still hard. And your son's a real ball player. Your son could
1: have a real future as a ball player. Now all the seasons are screwed up and some kids in in the country will be able to play and he won't be able to play as much. I mean, there are a lot of different reverberations. Continue.
3: Yeah, I mean, and and so this is real for a lot of people. And what's unfortunate is that we're in the middle of a, of a toxic political conversation that's as much about who we are and the social fabric of the country, and a lot more than about real policy, about the real direction of the country. And and I, look, I thought a lot of things that we can dissect, but you know, so much of how we think about politics is about team sports. How did my team do today? How did team Trump do today? How did team Biden do today? How did the conservatives versus the liberals do? Um, And that's what's playing out, and it plays out in media all the time, and it's very difficult to get beyond that. So I think, you know, we we have to remember some very foundational things to me. that I think voters look at all this to the extent that they pay attention to the complete list of the things that you're talking about. They still want to know what's the temperament of the person I want to put in the job. Can I trust them if planes go into the World Trade Center or the Freedom Tower in a real crisis? Do they have the temperament for the job? Are they competent? You know, are they up for it during a pandemic? Can they manage the response? And what's the future of my job and my well-being and my ability to provide for my family? These are the real questions. And that's what Trump's going to be evaluated on. And to your point, I think it's been unusual in this campaign so far that we focus so much on Trump. And what Trump has done, I think, pretty well in the past month or so, he's made it what he wants, which is a referendum. Which is, you may not like me, but look at the other guy. You may not like me, but forget about me. Look at the left. Don't even look at the other guy. Look at the left. What about those people? What are they going to do to you? That's the, that's the battleground he wants to fight.
1: How do you? And so for Biden. And, you know, I think, frankly, for the media, I think that the best service to the audience is not pointing out what's obvious about Trump by now. If you need me to tell you that the guy lies and that he can't even spell the word, you haven't been paying attention. Um, Is the best service. Well, what's better than him? Why shouldn't his supporters be so afraid of Biden slash the left as an alternative?
3: I think it's a question, and I think, a lot, you know, I saw a t-shirt at this North Carolina rally today. A guy had a shirt on that says, the left will, or liberals won't bully me. And guess what? Whether you agree with that or not, there's a lot of people who feel that way. They feel aggrieved. They feel like their voice doesn't count. Now, by the way, if you have a dissenting voice against President Trump, your voice doesn't count either, because he'll cancel you as soon as he says the left will. So you know, we 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 want to underline that hypocrisy but people do feel like they can't speak out, whether it's at work, whether it's online, whether it's in their school or in a meeting with other parents at their school, people do really feel this way. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think, you know, Biden has benefited, I think, by being quote unquote in the bunker, because I think the more he was underground, the more focus was on Trump. I think he had a good convention, but I think he comes into this fall, I think a bit flat footed on the violence out in Portland and other places. I think when he came out to condemn looting and so forth, I don't think he was strong enough. And I think Trump is exploiting this idea of law and order. It's a very old trick, you know, to to scare suburbanites into thinking that uh, the left and people of color are somehow coming after you and that the rioters are coming after you. That's not the case, but that's what he's trying to use. And I thought that Biden was slow to condemn that. And I think Biden, to your point, now he has to step forward and says, this is what leadership looks like during a pandemic. Because this is complicated, right? And we can, go, we can go through the whole list of how the Trump administration failed to better respond to the pandemic. But it's still complicated. Getting back to school is complicated. Schools and Just because killer. President Trump said that schools should reopen doesn't school's mean he was school's wrong. Because he didn't have a plan to do
1: it. Schools are killer because it. it's going to hurt too many people too many different ways. And people Correct. in politics well, are look looking at the, in the colleges
3: blame. Look, at the, look colleges. at the colleges. All you need to know is that Kids who don't care about following the rules are getting together and partying in a dorm and there's an outbreak. So that's right. all you need to know
1: about the virus
3: right. is that we can't also go known back to doing known as that. kids. So,
1: and all these people, all those kids and, you know, no, 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 no. Kids are going to do what they're going to do. You got to right. put parameters around them. They need, they need posts and they're not giving them. And we know that they can't test and people don't like to blame themselves or their kids for their own problems. And there's only one way to point. If we had the rapid testing, it would be differently. Now, there's something else that you introduced to me that I think is a little bit of a dicey play because if you want to bash the institutions, I think that's always fertile ground uh, in politics. But David pointed out to me, and I, I want your take on this. David will deliver why he thinks it mattered enough to talk to me about it. But the DOJ is now arguably working exclusively as Trump's personal attorney in the E. Jean Carroll case. Okay, it's one of the many allegations of real sexual harassment, real sexual assault. Forget about harassment, assault. Now the papers that you're seeing there is the DOJ, argues that Trump was acting within the scope of his job as president when he said that Carol lied about the alleged rape, so they want to defend it. Now, remember, this case won't die. It keeps winning challenges in state court. No coincidence that the DOJ now picks it up. Very controversial move. Chance it backfires, or is it more just Trump sucks, but (laughs)
3: <laughs> right. Well, but, I, but it speaks to a level of desperation. I mean, here you have a president and a presidential campaign who are very much one and the same. They usually are, but his is even more so. Uh, who's lashing out. You know, he, he's like the PR department who wants to respond to everything in real time right away. And he has power at his disposal. And his Justice Department is acting very much as his own personal law firm. And you see it again. Again, a case that was showing signs of uh, success in the state courts. Now DOG moves to dismiss it and take over jurisdiction. We've seen this in other cases. You saw it in the, the Michael Flynn case as well to dismiss those charges. Again, I think that strikes people who are paying attention. They might like Trump. They may forgive some of his other behavior. Maybe they don't love it, but they'll, they'll compartmentalize. This smacks of corruption. This smacks of incompetence. This smacks of abuse. People don't like that in their president. And yeah, if you want to go on and say, oh, the media is exaggerating or this is a false claim, there are those people who believe that and they'll make a determination. But what I'm saying is, I think some of these things are bad plays because I go back to where I started. If you think the president is not up for the job, If you think the president is incompetent or you think the president is corrupt, you've got a problem pulling that lever a second time. I think that's the reality. I think it hurt President Bush after Iraq and after Katrina. Mm. And I think, you know, we we saw with President Carter, it's an issue. And it it, it sometimes can be much more of a gut level feeling uh, than micro groups. You you say, oh, veterans aren't going to vote for him now because of this Atlantic piece. Well, we don't know if that's the case. It could be. And it could be other people who don't like seeing the military disrespected right. or just don't I like I gotta tell you, I don't like his defense. I, you
1: know, I, I don't like his defense of the military sucks. All the generals are against me right. anyway. As commander in chief, you say that about the guys that you're supposed to lead and that's your defense against an allegation that you said bad things about the military? I don't know. Right. You know look, you gotta swallow a lot to back Trump. Um, if you don't believe in our institutions, if you think they're shady, well, he's now using one in a really shady way. But again, right. I really believe the litmus test is, I don't care about Trump. I'm for him, despite him, because I am more scared of the alternative. Can Biden and Harris assuage that fear?
3: If not, they lose. The winner? And I think I think it's such an important question because I, I'm sure you've talked to people professionally, personally, and I've done the same, who expressed that very sentiment. Mm-hmm. They're not in the bag for Trump. Maybe they're conservatives, maybe they care about judges, maybe they're worried about taxes. There's aspects of their own lives that they'll that they'll zero in on, and there's too many people on the left who hate who are dripping with hatred for Trump who can't understand how people could still support him despite some of this conduct. And yet we've seen, you know, that people will compartmentalize mm-hmm. uh, about their political support for people, even if there's bad behavior. Yeah, look, we, they look, Look, they have an
1: understandably low bar of expectations uh, and you can never underestimate that in politics. David Gregory and you cannot be overestimated in terms of your value to the audience. I love you and I need you. Thanks. Thank you, right. you for working early and late. Thanks. Be well. All right. Post Labor Day now fall is soon upon us, but we cannot keep falling back. We have to do the work to get out of COVID. Yes, it will eventually burn through all of us and become a lesser order issue, but do you really wanna pay that price? Especially with what we're learning about all these long haul symptoms? Gotta keep bringing on voices who personally know the reality we must avoid The plight of those who thought they were better, but now they are as bad or worse. The reality, people living it, studying it. Next. As you know, there were a lot of people across the country that couldn't get a COVID-19 test during the height of the pandemic, uh, or even really now, right? And later tested negative for the antibodies. And yet half a year later, they're exhibiting many of the classic long hauler symptoms. Extreme fatigue, brain fog, cardiovascular issues, hair loss. And by the way, just to be clear, there are many of us who knew they had COVID, know they have the antibodies and also have these types of symptoms, even after the original virus seemed to go away. Deborah Kopakin is one of them. She joins us now along with Dr. William Lee, who is studying long haulers. It's good to see you both. And Deborah, now that I see your face, yes, I do remember that we were in the same, (laughs) at the same wedding, uh, in the same place. And that's not COVID Uh, brain, uh, I'm just old.
4: (laughs) I can tell you exactly how long ago it was because I was pregnant with my daughter and she's now 23, so 23 years ago.
1: Well, it is good to see you. I'm glad that the family has grown and I am sorry Uh, that we're meeting again this way. Uh, Deborah's also uh, a former ABC journalist, so uh, she knows how to understand a situation in context. Uh, Dr. Lee is recurring. I'm working with him privately. I'm working with him professionally. He's doing the research and he's figuring out what's working and what isn't, and these conversations help him as well. So Deborah, debrief.
4: Yeah, Um, debrief. So I got sick on March 18th and so did my partner and my younger son. My older two were; um, one of them was in the Peace Corps, and the other one was uh, in, you know, working with Syrian refugees. So it was just the three of us in our home, and all of us got sick. My younger son had, you know, fever and diarrhea. My partner was just extremely fatigued, and I was the one that couldn't breathe at all. And I'm talking at all for about a week where I felt like a fish flopping on shore. Um my symptoms lasted the breathing, I didn't breathe normally until August of this year. Um, I was on a Qvar inhaler twice daily, a steroid inhaler. Um during the the weeks of sickness I was on a nebulizer to breathe. Um, before they were we were told that we could turn over and that would help breathing. I figured that out on my own. I just kept tossing and turning until I could breathe correctly. And then, you know, I would say by July or August, I was feeling okay, but I had this racing heart and I'm a biker. I do yoga. I walk. I'm I do exercise all the time. And when I would go up hills on my bike, I would have to stop because I felt like I was going to pass out. And I also live on a fourth floor walk up. And so every time I come home, I literally have to lie down on every landing, stick my feet up in the air, or my heart rate goes to 147, sometimes as high as 170. What
1: does a heart exam say?
4: So I went to a cardiologist because my cousin, Emily Wessler, is a cardiologist at Stanford. She said, you got to go see a cardiologist. Mm -hmm. And the cardiologist I saw at NYU Langone said, I have POTS. Who? Um, I'd, I'd I'd heard of pots before because one of my son's friends has it, but it's postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. What it means is this: when you stand up, which everybody does who is human, and this is how we all stand on two feet, blood automatically pools in your pelvis and your legs. Now that's normal. With pots. It rushes there, goes away from the brain, away from the heart area. The heart thinks, oh, no, oh, no, emergency, and it beats too hard. And therefore, I feel like I'm going to pass out, and I often do pass out. In fact, I, have a, I had a dinger on my head from, you know, bumping into the shower. Any fix? Um, Gatorade and Spanx. You know, um, you have to drink a lot of electrolytes. You have to wear compression. I mean, Spanx is probably not even enough pressure. You have to have real compression socks, compression um, pants. um, Too hot to wear right now in the summer months, but I'm going to go get some, Um, you know, coconut water. And there's a protocol called the CHOP protocol or the Levine protocol, and it's called the Dallas protocol as well, where it's um, you have to go on a, a, a recumbent exercise bike swim or rowing machine, all of which were are unavailable to me during a pandemic. So, you know, so much for that. And then they'll
1: say ultimately and time because they believe it's virally induced and that the body, once it makes its way through, will do it. All right. So that was perfect as expected. Thank you. Now, Dr. Lee, had you heard of the manifestation of POTS uh, from post COVID, because again, Deborah has no business having POTS. Everything she does in her life is counterindicative to having POTS. Now she has it.
5: Well, Chris, uh, thanks for having me back on. And, and Deborah, you are telling a story that is actually the next piece of this puzzle, this thousand piece puzzle that we're calling long hauler syndrome. Um, I've heard of POTS before, of course, as a, as a medical doctor, but we're only now starting to realize that this is actually happening, maybe more commonly than we think, in people who have recovered from COVID. And Deborah, you're like many other people that in March, it was not easy to get a test. So you didn't even know that you didn't have a confirmation you had COVID. And then if you had antibodies and you didn't have them, um, it became really difficult. You're outside of the uh, outside of the box and yet you have post-COVID syndrome. And what we understand about POTS, it's a combination of your heart, your blood vessels, and your nerves. The automatic nerves that reset the fluid column in your body. Think about um, an astronaut floating around. Your body is desperately trying to figure out how to get enough uh, blood to your brain. If you lay flat and you sit suddenly up, you get that head rush. You're getting that head rush just by actually walking, standing up and walking up steps. There is something going on in the blood vessels. There's something going on in the nerves. And just last week, uh, researchers actually took a look at the heart and found out that the COVID uh, virus, the coronavirus actually can shred um, heart muscle cells growing in a dish. And so this is really a diabolical virus. And the more we actually learn about it, the more we realize we need to get on top of this so we don't have a second epidemic of these post COVID problems.
1: With consent of Copakin and Lee, I will put you two together on a text thread <laughs> so you can continue the conversation, see what he knows uh, that may help, may not help. Uh, and you know what you can avoid is really almost as important as what to do in our kind of situation. And Deborah, you know, you know I'm gonna be a resource. I'm hearing and learning things all the time. I'm in contact with Dr. Lee and many others. So thank you for sharing. These are not the kinds of conversations we wanna be having, but we have to have them because the idea that this just goes away is just increasingly not true. God bless and be well, Deb, I'll be in touch. Dr. Lee, as always, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Big question. Um, When you look at the race in context is, why is it so close with so many bad things going on on the incumbent's watch? All right, I gave you an argument for it at the top of the show. Well, what can we show in the numbers? The Wizard of Odds has fresh insight on tightening poll numbers. Next. Harry Enten, the Wizard of Odds, comes to join us now to give you a statistical reality of what we have long argued on this show, and by we, I mean me, not Harry, is a tighter race than the polls were suggesting. Two reasons. One, popular vote doesn't matter. It's about the states that matter and the counties that matter and the dynamics that affect the same. Yes, young Harry, I'm glad you agree. State of play in the swing states. Continue.
6: Yeah, I mean, look, Putting aside your giant ego, let's just take a look at the (laughs) polls right now in the swing states versus nationally, okay? And I think this tells the story, which is nationally what you see is that Joe Biden is ahead by eight percentage points. But if you look at the swing states, you see all of them, the six closest states from 2016, Biden's lead is less. But he is still up in them, Chris. He's still up in them. Almost within the the margin
1: of error in all of them and most of all Florida last time you came on the show you had Florida somewhere around 8 to 12 for Biden and I said that sounds crazy and you said boy if he's up that much in Florida and it holds yeah it didn't hold
6: the the only thing that's crazy is your recollection but I think that this is the key point here and that is if you look at what I call the tipping point state okay That is the state that contains the median electoral vote plus one. What is the margin in that state right now? That state is Arizona, and the margin in there is plus five for Biden. And so what you see essentially is this three-point gap, right, between what the popular vote says and where the electoral college sort of deciding vote is at this particular point. All right. So, yes, the race is closer than you think, but Biden still has an edge.
1: No, the race is closer than you think. It's not closer than I think. I think it's a dead even thing. And I think that Biden and Kamala Harris have to figure out a way to counter uh, what the president is offering because fear sells in a scary environment, which is what we're in. And let's take through that three different ways. One, the Electoral College. Give me a quick take on how Trump is overperforming there.
6: I mean, look, he's overperforming there exactly the way that we're talking about right now, right? Which is that in the states that matter, what you see is that Biden is overperforming. But here's the key nugget, which sort of, you know, I think gets at your whole point of that you were talking about earlier fear and perhaps driving up white resentment, right? And trying to scare older folks right now at this point, we're not actually seeing that in the polls. We're not seeing that in the polls. What we're actually seeing is that Joe Biden is overperforming with seniors. He's overperforming with
1: white. But voters. it's where and it's sh- where and it's and it's why. So we did where. Thank you. Now, Why? Law and order talk. People say, oh, come on, that's the old scare tactic. But they're scary times. Pandemic, even if he's responsible for botching uh, the response, scary. You know, violence in the streets, even if it's a small percentage, scary. These are scary things. Law and order sells in scary times. What are you seeing in the numbers?
6: I mean, sometimes it sells in scary times. But the fact is, if you look at the polling... And you look at white voters, you look at senior citizens, you do see that Biden is actually doing significantly better than Hillary Clinton did. But you can also look at the law and order polling, which suggests that Joe Biden is winning on that issue or at least keeping Trump's edge to a very small margin. And more than that, on the list of important issues, law and order is not resonating. I know you're talking about it, but the polls indicate that that's not the case. That is not the reason if you want to argue Trump's closing that he is. The reasons he's probably closing are twofold. Number one, obviously the coronavirus pandemic, although still bad, the cases aren't as bad as they were earlier in the summer. And then the second thing is that if you take a look at the economic indices and you sort of put them all together into one giant one, it's not as bad as I think a lot of people think it is.
1: Hmm. Harry Anton, I love you. You're smart. You help the audience. You make us better. And I appreciate it. Be well, brother.
6: Be well. And I just want to say you sent a very nice text message to me this weekend. And the person we were talking about uh, it, he would have really liked you. And I just want to say you're a really good guy. And I know you come across sometimes on air as something, but in person, in, in the interpersonal, you are great and you're also great on air, but you're a different guy there and I like you both ways.
1: Thank you very much, Harry. On air, you come across as something. Ladies and gentlemen, Harry Anton. Have a good night. All right, we'll be right you too, back. You <laughs> President Trump is banning federal agencies from holding racial sensitivity training, calling it anti American propaganda. He's also threatening to defund schools that use curriculum from the New York Times 1619 project. We'll talk about what that is and what it means, but why is it a good move? Let's uh, discuss with Rick Santorum. Good to see you. Hope the family is well.
7: Everybody's great. Thanks, Chris.
1: Appreciate um, it. Glad to have- DHS assesses white supremacy to be the most lethal threat to the United States. Uh, In 2018, only 8% of high school seniors surveyed can identify slavery as the central cause of the Civil War. You mix ignorance and arrogance, you get a dangerous combination. Why wouldn't we want to train people to understand that systemically these kinds of cultural ignorance and cultural biases can make a difference and to just be careful about it?
7: Well because that's not what this is doing I mean these are the you know the, the 1619 project and 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 these quote diversity or sensitivity trainings are are really indoctrination uh, sessions that that in in more than one way really divide us I mean and tends line? to it's, it, well, it's just it's it's solely focused on dividing um, about race. I mean, you know, the quote how Nelson is it Mandela. Dividing?
1: Help me understand, Rick. How does it well, divide uh, about uh, race by telling because, you be because careful? It, because we fought a war it's over not what slavery. It's,
7: yeah, but that's not what uh, the memo says. The memo says that we we shouldn't divide people by you know by race and say that uh, because you're white you're privileged and because you're uh, because you're white you should you know you're you you know you're guilty of certain things. I mean, if you read the memo, and that's what the president was referring to, it's saying that these courses that are that that are basically divisive courses that talk about uh, you know the the centrality of race having to do with sort of everything uh, right. is. What? the problem here. I, I get your and, argument and I get I your argument the sensitivity and learning history and certainly the every valid historian has said the 1619 project is is historically invalid I think we're all for learning the val- no, no, valid No no hold on hold on a second. That, All right
1: hold on okay my turn Uh, every respectable historian has not said that about the 1619 Project. I did not do the 1619 Project, I have no connection to the 1619 Project, Uh, but in looking at what its formation was about, which is making sure that people understand the role of slavery in this history and in the war, was born on as a
7: racist country and, and
1: and and they fought the revolution over slavery I mean they, hold just, on. they the, did they fight fought. the revolution over slavery. You and your people weren't here. Me and they my people the weren't here. They
7: fought the War over slavery. We didn't fight the, Civil- the revolution
1: over slavery. Right, but the Civil War was about slavery, and you only yes, have- Yes, but that's not what she said. She said the, the 1690
7: Project says the Revolutionary War was fought over slavery. I mean, it's it's absurd. It, it is ahistorical. Even if you yeah, think it goes too
1: far, even if you think it goes too far, how does the solution, not go too far fine you don't like the 1619 project you can't go back to the revolution just stick with the civil war fine there's your tweak uh sensitivity training we have systemic inequality you know it i know it i could quote you facts all night long you don't want to hear them because you don't want to defend them the president won't even say it exists how is that alone not a prima facie case to have the training be, uh, here's what I would say. It, it,
7: with, with respect to training, I, I'm, I'd be for, for training to let, let people who have you know, thoughts and concerns, uh, whether they're liberal or conservative or whether they're black or white, that people have, have the uh, right to, to air those concerns and to feel comfortable doing so but these are these are prescriptive these are telling you how to think these are uh, the reason that people are objecting and whistleblowing on these is because they're 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 pushing an agenda that's the problem if if it was simply to say look we have we should be sensitive and we should be listening to different points of views and we shouldn't be making these presumptions that because you're white you're privileged and it's because but that's you're white not you're racist. what the
1: training is that, that is but a but scare that's tactic memo that's the divisive but, thing no, Rick, no, they're actually, Rick, there, there's, president there's plenty is of saying, information
7: out there. Rick. There's plenty of information out there that these types of training sessions are occurring. Rick, but you're generalizing. In, in I'm dealing with the government.
1: specific, the specific problem is our president says there is no such thing as systematic inequality. And the blacks are going to come to your neighborhood with their crazy white friends and they're going to destroy your houses and they're going to take away the suburbs. And you're going to say, my crystal ball, Yeah, well, I don't like that he says it that way, but this goes too far, too. Training people Uh, that slavery and systemic oppression has affected our institutions is the truth. Why shouldn't we educate people about that? Because here's what I would say. I think that to
7: simply focus on that and make the presumption that because you're because you're white, you're privileged. That's and because not you're the white, point Rick,
1: of the training. They that they, is what the Rick, memo the is Rick, saying. Rick, you can The can't memo train does them. not say. Here's what we want people to know. You're white. You're bad, you're privileged, and you're to blame for every bad thing that happened to black people. Now go home and say you're sorry. That's not the point of it. It's be but open. That's what the memo says. It's Chris. not that's what, what the president memo Trump says. Is Rick, I've read the memo. Read so it. have I. I've it read, says, read the memo. It says, it says exactly that. No, it says it as an aspect of opening an aperture of understanding how our experiences are different. And you no know it's is true. Opposed,
7: no one is opposed to having the discussion.
1: The president we is opposed. The we president's opposed
7: that the, the, the Rick, indoctrination, the president
1: on. says systemic inequality doesn't exist. Do you agree with that? Uh, do I think there is race racist, racist in this country? Yeah. Do I systemic think that, that inequality, systemic inequality? We don't lend the same way. We I, don't educate I, the same way. We don't punish the same way. We don't hire the same way.
7: Yeah, I, I would say that we are an imperfect society. No, and, and that the, is uh, true. And, and what the, I just said. The,
1: do you agree with what I just said?
7: I would say that we are an imperfect society. We Why can improve won't you on all just say counts? you
1: agree with what I just said? Well, Why I said qualify can, it?
7: Yeah, I, I agree that we can improve all right, on all fine. those counts. Then say but, the but president is wrong today, to deny that. The situation is anywhere near as what it was 50 years ago. It's I not think we need about to whether it's the same.
1: Made. It's about it not being where it could be. And this president says we don't even and have a problem. Is, and you won't say get- he's wrong. If you agree no, I, with I, me, but you won't say he's wrong. What does that make you? I will say that the
7: memo that he is endorsing is not what you're suggesting it is. It's saying
1: that the saying it's not about the memo. You guys won't even admit we have a problem. And you say the prescription goes too far. What do you care about the prescription or the medicine?
7: You won't even admit the illness. I think I think the I think the remedy that's being proposed by some is worse than the illness. This idea of dividing people by race and calling. People Nobody's you're going white, to try to divide by race. Just, They're trying to
1: open well, people's eyes to why we have different experiences. But here's the bigger problem, Rick. And we talked about that. this before. Then you've got to start telling this president he's wrong to deny the existence, uh, to deny the existence of systematic equality. You've got to start saying he's wrong, Rick. Because you guys keep coddling him, and it keeps getting worse. I got to jump. Uh, you're always welcome okay. here to take it to the next level. Hey. And you know we you do it. it in a spirit of decency. I'm and not I him. You're that. not him. I'm not going to run you down to make a point. You won't do that either. Be well. Hey. All right. We'll be right back. Gave D. Lemon a little bit more time to get his makeup straight. CNN Tonight starts now. <laughs> uh, you're a minute late. I was waiting for you. No, you. I weren't. saw you looked a mess when oh, they came yeah, in here. Right. Don't try to get away. Don't be sorry. They had the stretch. Just don't do it again. <laughs> Your last
8: conversation, man. Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. Let me tell you something. That is the conversation. By it the is way. the conversation. But when you go home tonight, or when Mr. Santorum goes home tonight, go home and tell his wife that there isn't um, systemic sexism built into the United States of America, that men don't have it better, pretty much. Not that some women aren't doing very well. She
1: may believe that. Yeah. But it doesn't make a true. Go
8: tell Christina that and see what happens. Uh, I got got enough
1: trouble as it is. because I got to find some place to sleep. (laughs)
8: Um, Look, All you got to do is look at let's look at compared to sexism and misogyny in this country. And if you look at let's just be honest, this isn't This isn't about, you were absolutely 100% right. This isn't about blaming people or saying, oh my gosh, you're inherently terrible because this is about facing the fact, a realism, something that is real in the society so that we can come to an agreement and then try to work together Mm -hmm. because you have to admit certain things. People have to admit where they are, certain things happen, and then you can do it as long as you keep pretending that it didn't happen or that it's not a big deal or keep framing it in a way that is... Um, not, that is not based in any sort of reality, it is never going to change. And this whole idea, I don't understand, well, I do understand what's going on, of critical race theory. Are we going back to the 80s? Because this all played out in the 1980s, this whole thing about critical race theory in politics. It is another boogeyman Yeah, we're going right to back try to, to scare it. people. We're going back to the 80s. There's yeah. no new, nothing new about critical Man, race it's theory. It's still scary. Just go back and do do a Google search still, on critical race scary. theory and politics. I'll
1: tell you, when I talk to um, guys like Rick and other people about coming on the show and making their argument and going through their argument, right? What's the strong part of their argument? Strong part of the argument is... Fear Yeah. And I don't want to be blamed for being privileged when I'm white and struggling. I'm not a racist. Why am I racist? By saying I'm not privileged. Uh, I don't need people to tell me I'm to blame for everything that happened to black people. That sells. Okay. Yeah, but that's not what they're doing. But that is the strong part of the argument. That's why Rick made it tonight out of context. The yeah. focus of the memo about the training is not about make sure that white people understand that they're privileged and to blame. He knows that. But that's the argument that works. Here's yeah. the bad side. Uh, that I always mitigate in these conversations because I want them to come on the show. You know there's systemic racism, Rick Santorum. You're gonna try to say we're imperfect, uh, we have problems with racism. You don't want to say it, why? Because the president won't say it. You want to say you agree with me so you don't sound like a fool, but you don't want to say the term because he won't say it and that's their weakness.
8: They don't know. When has anyone ever admitted that they had a problem. Have you ever known, have you ever had a family member or a friend who had an issue, whether it's addiction or whatever it is, who admitted to it?
1: People don't like to admit they have problems.
8: So America has a problem with race. Rick says, "Okay, you know, uh, they want people to believe that racism. Yes, it's in pretty much everything. Look at how the country was founded. Look at what's happening on the streets of of American cities and not even not just playing out in America. Look at what's happening with monuments and statues. Look at what's happening. Look at what the president's priorities. uh, Look what happens with pay. With lending, with all sorts of things.
1: Employing, housing, adoption.
8: All of it and so to pretend that it doesn't exist and to come up with some boogeyman about critical race theory there are people who are out there i'm sure young people or people who haven't been involved in the political conversation who think that this is something new it is not it is another boogeyman you have you know but it works. every time some sort of Willie Horton-esque thing comes back every four years or in political battle. Willie Horton was
1: George H.W. Bush and Dukakis, where Roger Ailes made Horton look extra black to scare white people. Scaring white people
8: works. But listen, here's what I have to say. And if you talk to women, honestly, they will tell you, if you're a man and you you haven't taken advantage of the privilege or the advantages you have in this society, then maybe you're doing it wrong. If you speak to some people of color, they will tell you the same thing. If you are a white person and you have not taken advantage of being able to always get loans, always get an education, always vote, always have every priority, even if you're poor, if you haven't been able to take advantage of that, then maybe you're doing it wrong, but you should not be blaming the people who don't have agency in society along with you. There is another blame for it, but it's not those people. You're just being pitted against those people because someone is taking advantage of you so you're the mark you're the person that's keeping the other people rich they're playing keeping you the other for people a sucker. in power they are pay, playing you for a sucker you are the mark to the con that is going on yes. so this whole idea about there is no privilege in society for white people. That's bullshit. There is a privilege. There is no privilege in society for men. That is bull. There is a privilege. There is no privilege in society. When, when, if you're a Christian, there is a privilege in this society because we prioritize Christianity even though we're supposed to be a country that believes in freedom of religion. But yet, what do we do? And separation we demonize Muslims. Church and state. We demonize Islam. We demonize anybody who is pretty much not a Christian or even but if who don't hates believe us. in religion. Islam you hates demonize. us, though. But that's the whole point. You're making my point. So to believe that there aren't certain privileges in this society,
1: this American society that are not
8: unique to America, is just plain old absurd. You're right. But
1: only the president makes that grotesque argument.
8: No, no. Other people make the argument. He is just using it to his political advantage. But what I'm saying
1: is at the top of the food chain, the fraud food chain, Mm. you have the president. Yeah. He says no systemic racism, just some bad apples. Yeah. I say you got to look at the whole orchard. OK, yeah. he says it. So Rick Santorum, who knows that everything you just said is true. He might argue degree, yeah. but it's true. But he can't say there's systemic racism because Trump says there isn't. Yeah. See, the problem for Rick Santorum is he is smart enough to know the truth and intentionally not saying it to protect Trump. Yeah. And that is a political Sin.
8: I don't know if he's that smart. I think he probably believes what he believes, but I think that people who believe Well he believe says in he agrees way, with me that each of the problems exist. Yeah.
1: What is it in the collective if they each exist except systemic racism? Yeah. That's what it is. He doesn't want to say it because Trump won't say it and they fear him and they have something the left doesn't have. Cohesion, baby. They're all <laughs> Let in me tell you something.
8: Uh, they're not afraid of Joe Biden. They're afraid of what Joe Biden represents. They're not afraid of, being, of Trump being replaced by Biden. They're afraid of what may replace them as the preeminent voice or maybe the voice that is not it's so a strong good fear. and doesn't have the advantage that it does in society. Powerful fear. That is what it is.
1: And that's why they overlook yeah. all of Trump's obvious failings. They support Trump They're not overlooking Trump. it.
8: They're, they're agreeing with it. There is no overlooking. You cannot overlook Trump. He is in our faces every day saying exactly people what he's saying. Over, There's no way of tell overlooking. People all the
1: time when you're not yelling at him in private life, I know he lies. I know he's a bad guy. But I, I hope think you correct him and, and say you're and not. There's no guys. way
8: you can overlook him. You
1: cannot overlook no, a bully. They're a saying bully punches I'm you in the I'm more scared of what will follow him.
8: I'm telling you, they're, yes, they're more scared of what will follow him and what will follow him. It's not Joe Biden. It's what Joe Biden represents. It is what it represents for them as a person or as a people or, that you kooky, no longer kooky have. lefties and crazy blacks coming to burn down Will their neighborhoods. Let me finish? That you no longer have the advantage or the privilege that you have once had in this society. That's what the fear is. The fear is not Joe Biden. It's not Kamala Harris. It is what the fear is, the inevitable. Yeah, no matter how much they fight it, it is the inevitable. Trump may hold back what they think is going to happen for a moment but he's not it's astroturf it's not going to happen this country is going to move on the more people who like me and you who will talk the more people who are in mixed interracial relationships the more people who will overlook the that bs as this country as the world continues to grow this is not going to be the same society where the same people have a preeminent voice it just
1: is what it is so you it just may be for this prolonging election. the inevitable maybe but that's yeah. we're going one election at a time. I got to run because there are a lot I, I of white people who are scared. Segment
8: four of the show.
1: They have to. Well, do it again. Fear I mean, not. Do what it is, again. What if you're? Let's
8: say okay. Let's put it this way. Do it again. As as you're, if you're a Christian society and you believe in what Trump believes in, he says he's a Christian and whatever. Fear not. Isn't that what it says? So don't be afraid.
1: Isn't so it let, all that let, Corinthians two thing?
8: Yeah. <laughs> no, two Corinthians. It's no matter wherever you believe in, just not. keep believing.
1: I have a power crystal on my desk. <laughs> I'm Not
8: going there. I love you, buddy. You too, buddy. I love you. That was great for us, not for the people in my ear, though, in my head. But you for know. the audience, this, this is, is why they
1: watch. See you
8: tonight. I'll see you. Quality sleep is essential,
1: and that's why the Sleep
0: Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like.